Describing the changes that occur when you're in a real relationship with Jesus, here's Pastor Ed Taylor. When you're caught up in who he is and what he's done for you, all those other things, they follow. You begin to love his word. You want to hear from him. You want to grow in his grace. You want to tell others about him. You're going to stay away from nonsense. You're going to break off bad relationships. Why? Not because some pastor told you to, but because the Holy Spirit lives in you. And the Holy Spirit yearns for your purity and your righteousness. The Holy Spirit animates us with the very power of God to do what's right and pleasing to Him. This is amazing grace. Far too many today settle for empty religion, or worse, they go back to their old way of relating to God instead of growing in a vibrant relationship with Jesus. Why is that? The Bible tells us in many places, and one of them is in the book of Hebrews, chapter 8. And here now to take us into that scripture on today's Abounding Grace is our teacher, Pastor Ed Taylor. You take your Bibles and open them to Hebrews chapter 8 as we're continuing our verse-by-verse study through the book of Hebrews and the Bible study I entitled Jesus the Better Tabernacle. Jesus the Better Tabernacle. Last time we were together, we learned the details of Jesus Christ as the greater high priest. That he didn't come from the line of Aaron or he didn't come from the line of Levi, but rather he's a high priest from a completely different order from this man named Melchizedek. And we studied that in depth last time. Today, notice in Hebrews chapter 8, Paul, he says, we are getting to the main point now. We're getting to the summary, verse 1. Now, this is the main point of the things which we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in the heavens, a minister of the sanctuary and of the true tabernacle, which the Lord erected and not man. For every high priest is appointed to both offer gifts and sacrifices. Therefore, it is necessary that this one also have something to offer. For if he were on earth, he would not be a priest, since there are priests who offer the gifts according to the law. Notice verse 5. Who served the copy and shadow of heavenly things as Moses was divinely instructed when he was about to make the tabernacle. For he said, and this is a quote from Exodus 25, see that you make all things according to the pattern shown you on the mountain. But now he has obtained a more excellent ministry inasmuch as he's also the mediator of a better covenant which was established on better promises. And so we have the better high priest, Jesus Christ. And the temptation that was coming to the first century Jewish believers, remember that's the audience that this letter was written to, the temptation that they were facing was to leave the simplicity of faith in Jesus Christ, the promised Messiah, And they wanted to go back to the formalism of the law, the rituals, the ceremonies, the priesthood, the temple of Judaism. They were tempted to go backwards. They were tempted to leave faith 
to leave the promised Messiah. Imagine this. If you were in Judaism, somebody listening right now, those that are in Judaism right now, the Jewish men and women reading the Torah, reading the Old Testament, they would be reading of over 300, as they read through, 300 predictions of the first coming of Messiah, the Savior. Do you know that Jesus Christ, when he came, he fulfilled over 300 predictions, or what the Bible calls prophecies, of his first coming. Things like what city he would be born in. Things like he would come from a virgin. And on and on. 300, about 330 is what most people settle on. And so they are now worshiping, this group is worshiping Jesus Christ, their promised Messiah. They have the promise. They don't have to worship in shadows and copies any longer. They have the real thing, but they want to go backwards. They want to go backwards. Notice in verse 1, it says, now this is the main point of the things we are saying, and I want you to mark these words. We have, present tense, we have. Those are important words. Because remember, the believers are under intense pressure. Embracing Jesus Christ literally meant for the Jewish person in the first century, losing everything. They lost their status in society. They lost their formalism religion. They lost their family, lost their job. They lost their community. And yet they're still connected with their family in some respects, but they lost everything. And what they would be hearing is something like this. Hey, what are you worshiping that guy from Nazareth? Why are you, why are you worshiping that Nazarene? Why don't you come back? Because we have the temple. We have the priesthood. We have the washings. We have the ceremonies. We have the law. To which Paul says, here's the summary. Here's the main point. We have a greater high priest. And that silenced the critics. We have not only such a high priest, but we have the best high priest. We have the fulfillment of it all. Today, right now, Jesus is at the right hand of the throne of God, continuing to minister and serve on our behalf. He says, notice verse 2, a minister of the sanctuary of the true tabernacle, which God built and not man. What they were looking to is something temporary. They were looking to the temple and the law, and they were looking to that which was temporary for personal fulfillment. And yet, Paul is reminding them that they have the permanence of Jesus Christ. And they're not to leave the permanence and the substance to go back to copies and shadows. You have to understand, what Jesus Christ has done for you and me on the cross is open wide the way of fellowship with God. That is beyond our comprehension. You no longer need to go through a priest, nor have you ever needed to if you weren't in Judaism. You don't need to go through a priest. You don't need to go through a ritual. You don't need to show up at a particular place. You don't have to offer a bull or a goat because what Jesus Christ has done for you and me on the cross, you and I can have a full, real relationship with God, our creator, by faith. We have the real deal. He has supplied everything that we need. Our relationship with the Father, listen, is not based on our good works. And I'm glad. It's not based on our good works. It's not based. You can come to the Father whether you do your devos or not. You can come to the Father whether you attend church perfectly or not. 
You could come to the Father if you made a mistake or you committed a sin or whatever it might be in your life. By faith in Jesus Christ, you can come to the Father right now, not based on your good works. Now, is it a good thing to be in the Bible every day? Absolutely. Is it a good thing to be with other believers on a rate? Absolutely. Is it a good thing to have a vibrant prayer life? Yes. But your relationship to the Father does not depend on your good works. Jesus Christ provided the one good work that it takes for you to be right with the Father. And you come through him, and he's fulfilled it all. I think we take that for granted at times. You know, as a new believer, we're born again, we're excited, we embrace all that God has done for us. But over time, we begin to take for granted that Jesus Christ did the work. We take for granted that Jesus Christ, he saves us, he continues to save us, and he will save us. It's his work, not our good works. And it works both ways. You know, it goes both ways. Because if you're faithful this week and you read your, you did your devos every day, and you, you might feel good about yourself. You may even feel better. You feel like you're better than someone else. And you come to God with great boldness because, man, you did well in your spiritual life this week. On the other hand, if you didn't do too well, you may not even come at all. You, you may feel so condemned, you may feel so upset, you know, I'm just a lousy person, I didn't read the Bible this week, I didn't pray, as a matter of fact, uh, I, not only did I not do anything spiritual, I did a lot of things unspiritual, and you begin to judge your life on your good works and your bad works. Listen, if that's the way you live your life, you need to train yourself to see your life based on his good work, because when you're caught up in who he is and what he's done for you, all those other things, they follow. You begin to love his word. You want to hear from him. You want to grow in his grace. You want to tell others about him. You're going to stay away from nonsense. You're going to break off bad relationships. Why? Not because some pastor told you to, but because the Holy Spirit lives in you. And the Holy Spirit yearns for your purity and your righteousness. The Holy Spirit animates us with the very power of God to do what's right and pleasing to him. Man, what he's done for us, it's amazing. And it says in verse 4, notice, if Jesus was on earth, he wouldn't be a priest. And that's true, because he wasn't from the line of Aaron, and he wasn't from the line of Levi, so he wouldn't offer anything in the temple. And that's a big point, because why he was from the line of Melchizedek. He's a different type of priesthood. The men that were serving in the temple were just serving copies and shadows, and not the real thing. You know, what I've found over the years is that any illustration I try to make when it comes to copies and shadows is pretty silly. And yet it still makes the point, none of us really go after the shadows. And none of us really want a fake copy of something. We want the real deal. And I was thinking in my own travels, you know, if there's an opportunity, I, I never travel alone, but if I have to travel, I take a pastor with me and I'm not able to take my wife, you know, by the time I get home, I want the real thing. I, I want to spend some time with my wife. I want to enjoy Marie. I don't come home, and as I'm walking in, I see her standing at the door because she always stands at the door to wait for me. You know that, right? <laughs> no, that doesn't happen. So, so she's at the door, and, and I see her shadow, and I'm like, man, it's so good to be home. Hey, babe. And I just jump on the ground and start hugging the shadow. What a dumb thing to do. And she's like, what's your problem, bro? Like, what are you doing? Oh, I was just waiting to see your shadow, honey. I've been missing your shadow. And no, like I want the real deal. I'm going right for the real thing. I'm passing the shadow 
I'm going right for the real thing. Or, or a picture, a copy, you know? Uh, if I, when I travel and I don't have my wife, or even when I don't have my family, I have pictures of my family. It reminds me of them, I pray for them, and, and I miss them. But when I get home, man, I don't need the picture. It's, it'd be really weird if I, I'm there sitting and Marie's like two feet from me on the couch. Man, this is such a great picture. So good, you know? It's like, I'd be so stupid. I got the real thing. If I just move over two feet, boom, it's done. None of us, none of us go for the shadows or copies. So if you do that in the real world, that's the point. That's why he keeps saying it. You know what? The tabernacle, the temple, the worship, the ceremonies, the incense, the high priesthood, they all had their time, but they're temporary. The tabernacle was temporary. It was a picture, a type of a copy, a copy of who is to come. Not what is to come, but who is to come. If you studied with us when we went through Exodus, we went through, you know, all the studies that we've done in our church are online. They're on our website and on our app. And we're about, I don't know, a third way through the Old Testament and almost done with the New Testament. Uh, Hebrews and Jude, and we'll be done with the New Testament. And so when we went through Exodus many years ago, verse by verse, we learned that each part of the tabernacle pointed to Jesus Christ. Everything about it was a picture of Jesus. And that when Jesus came, he fulfilled no need for the tabernacle. The tabernacle was temporary. The law was temporary in its purpose. Remember the purpose of the law? The law had a purpose, and it was this, to show you and me that we have failed a holy and righteous God. That's why the law was given. We learned that in a previous study. Remember, the law is a tutor or a teacher. And what does the law teach us? The law teaches us that we have failed. You see, the law could reveal, the law could reveal our failure, but it couldn't change us. And we compared it to what? A mirror. Like all of us use mirrors. And let me just tell you, when you wake up in the morning and you go into the restroom, the mirror is telling you the truth. You may not like it, but the mirror, you can't get mad at the mirror. You can't get up. I don't, I can't believe mirror. I'm getting a new mirror. Why? Because it's telling me I don't look good. No, bro, that's how you look. That's it. The mirror is telling you the truth. Changing the mirror is not going to change the situation. The mirror is just telling you the truth. It's not the mirror's fault. The mirror is revealing to you what needs to be changed, but it's not changing it for you. It has no power to change for you. The law of God is very similar. The law of God reveals to you your inadequacies, but the law had no power to change. Only God changes. Only God does the work internally. It's like the pictures you take, you know? If we took a picture, I did a big picture and I, gave, I sent it all out to you. The first person you're looking for is who? You. And then you're going to say, oh, I don't like this. Well, let me just let you in on a secret. That's what you look like all the time. It's not the picture's fault. That's what you look like. Yeah, but my eyes were closed. Guess what? That's what you look like when your eyes are closed. That's it. It's not the picture's fault. It's not the mirror's fault. And it's not the Bible's fault when it, you open it up you see, that, that's one of the reasons why people don't read the Bible. Because it's alive and powerful. And it doesn't matter where you read. God will use it to reveal to you and reveal to me the distance that is between me and God. The distance between my creator 
and it's going to force me to come to the conclusion, where am I in my relationship to God? That question is on every page. Where am I? Where am I? Where am I? Where am I? Like some of you are listening today for the very first time to a Bible study, and you're like, what is this whole thing about a high priest? I don't even know. And that question is leading you to who wrote it? And that question is leading to you, well, if God wrote it, then who is God? See, on every page of the Bible, it leads you to the questions that will lead you to God. And there you are standing before God with the greatest question in your life, and that is this. Where will you spend eternity? God is eternal, so where will you spend eternity? A lot of people avoid the Bible and avoid Christians and avoid Christianity. They avoid churches because you don't want to deal with that question, where will you spend eternity? But that's an important question to ask. It's more important than the person you're going to marry. It's more important than the house you're going to buy or the car you drive or the school you're going to go to or what your career is. As important as those questions are, the greatest question that every human being needs to answer is where will you spend eternity? You can ask it in the first person, where will I spend eternity? And if you say, well, you know, I'm going to be in heaven because all good people go to heaven. The problem is when you open the Bible, the Bible says you're not good. The Bible says that we're not good enough. Well, you know, Ed, I'm better than so-and-so. That may be true, but you're comparing to the wrong person. You see, God made it very clear. He, he, he made the key to heaven just one key, not 10, not seven. There's only one key to open up the gate, if you will, into the presence of God in heaven. And the key, if you had a name on it, would say perfection. That's how you and I get into heaven. Be perfect. And to that, you're like, man, I guess I'm not getting in. Right, I wouldn't get in either. Perfect. I don't have that key. I'm not perfect. Not only am I not perfect, but in a large portion of my life when I was younger, I actively rebelled against God. I was worse than worse than worse than not perfect. You see, God, he allows us to live life the way that we desire. If you don't want to be in relationship with God today, God will not force you to be in a relationship with him. He gave you life, breath, and everything you have. The Bible says, what do we have that God didn't give to us first? Everything that we are and have came from God, from the Father in heaven. He's the provider of all great things. But if you don't want a relationship with him, he will not force you to have a relationship with him. But it'll break his heart. You see, the Bible says that if you live in a way that's in rebellion to God and you die in that condition, you will spend eternity separated from God. Often you will hear the phrase, you'll spend eternity in hell. Hell is a real place. There are a lot of different phrases in the Bible that describes a place of separation from God for all eternity. Hell, lake of fire, Gehenna. I mean, it's a very, it's a very horrible place to think of. And it's not God's desire for you to go there. As a matter of fact, he provided everything possible for you to avoid hell. And yet if you choose to live in a way that's rebellious toward God, then hell is where you'll go. It's almost like God saying, you know, if this is the way you want and this is the life that you want, I will give you that. But it'll break his heart. He does so with tears. He grieves over your decision to go to hell. And you might say, man, I never decided to go to hell. Listen, if you don't decide to follow Jesus, there's only one alternative. There's not three, there's not 10. There's only one alternative. Who will you live your life for? Will it be for you? 
That's a choice. You live life the way you want to live it, the way that you want to do things. Do you want to dabble in Hinduism a little bit? Do you want to go toward Buddhism? Do you, do you want to take that religious class and see what all the religions out there? God says, it's not good for you, but if that's the way you want to go. I was thinking about this because over the years of serving here, I've spent a lot of time with families and parents. And uh, uh, I was thinking of a select group of parents, parents that have prodigal kids. You know, I'd be at their kitchen table or my office or the restaurant, and we're talking about and praying about their child, their son, their daughter. This just happened recently, not too long ago. And talking about the decisions they're making. As a matter of fact, I had the opportunity to talk to this young guy about the life that he's choosing and pleading with him not to do it. He chose anyway. Every parent that has a prodigal kid cries over them and their heart breaks over them. They're not happy that their son or daughter doesn't want to live for God. They're not happy that they become drug addicts. They're not happy that they're hanging with these people that don't care about them. The prodigal son's father in the Bible wasn't happy. His son took the inheritance and threw it all away and ruined his life. He is not happy. He's grieved. You know, God, his, the greatest picture of God in the Bible is as a father. And for you to not live in a way that pleases him grieves him. You go, Ed, I don't know. I've never heard that, that God would be grieved or sad over my sin. What do you mean? By the way, I did use the word sin because what we call mess ups and mistakes, the Bible calls sin. The greatest issue in life is our sin. What will we do with our sin? You see, Judaism was an elaborate system of religion that God established to get people's eyes on him. And they were to follow the prescription until Messiah came. It was a revelation. Every time the priest came, he would offer three animals, remember? First, he would offer an animal for himself, a, a sacrifice for his own sins on the Day of Atonement. Secondly, he would offer an animal for the sins of all the people. And then thirdly, he would take a live animal, a goat, he would have his bloody hands, and his bloody hands would be on the head of the goat, and he would transfer by prayer the sins of the people on that goat, and he would let him go. Can you imagine what that would be? You don't need to bring a bull or goat today. Isn't that great? Indeed, it is great to have a Savior who paid for our sins. You're listening to Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. Thanks for taking part in today's Bible study. To hear it again, visit our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com, or you can hear us through our app. Simply search for Ed Taylor in the App Store or Google Play and download the free app today. We also have a podcast on Apple Podcasts. Our pick of the month is Five-Minute Apologetics for Today by Ron Rhodes. As Christians, we sometimes encounter objections about the Bible, and maybe you're left wondering how to answer them or where do you look. This wonderful book offers you 365 quick answers to key questions. I think you'll find it super helpful the next time you come across a question you're not sure how to answer. And we'll gladly send you a copy when you support Abounding Grace today with a gift of $25 or more. Just pick up the phone right now and call 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. Pastor Ed, here we are on the National Day of Prayer, and I think it would be fitting to close out today's program in a word of prayer. Would you lead us, please? Father, as many, many believers today are giving attention specifically to prayer, uh, I ask that you would hear us. 
And even if we mess it all up and we're saying the wrong things and we're, we're asking a miss, like James says, that you would correct it, change it, modify it so that it might align with your will so that we might experience the fullness of your answer. I know that in a time where our world is upside down, it's so easy and we don't even notice it, Father, but our prayers get very selfish, uh, even in pain and sorrow and trial and difficulty. And we don't want to be selfish, Lord. We want to be selfless. So hear our prayer on this special day uh, that nationally many, many men and women, boys and girls are praying. We're grateful for that. And so change our hearts, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks again, Pastor Ed. Ed Taylor is the pastor at Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado. He also enjoys meeting his radio listeners, so drop by and say hi after a service. We meet together Saturdays at 6 p.m., Sundays at 8.45 and 10.45 in the morning. There's a midweek service, too, Wednesdays at 7 p.m. We can tell you more about us at calvaryco.church. Join us each day on Abounding Grace as we go and grow through a study in Hebrews with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You lay down your life. That I would be set Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado, here in Aurora.